There we are. When we look at America today, it's easy to see a nation absorbed with self-identity, but not always with wisdom, not always with understanding. We think a lot about who we are, but we don't always think rightly. The example that springs easily to mind is with gender, people who aren't so sure that their gender matches their sex. And so they see themselves as something other than what they are biologically. We see that around us quite a bit. There was a man whose name was Emil Rattlebrand. He lived in the Netherlands. In 2018, he was 69 years old. He didn't feel 69. He felt great. In fact, he felt 49, and so he sued the government to recognize him as being 49 years old. And it went to court, and his argument was, well, if gender is based on your feeling, then why not age? And he lost his lawsuit because your age is based on when you were born and how many years have passed and not feeling. There were, there, there's a man whose name is Jorund Alme from Norway. Biologically, he's a man in very good health. He identifies as a paralyzed woman. So moves around in women's clothing in a wheelchair, even though he could walk because his sense of identity doesn't match the reality of biology. And one of the most bizarre examples we see now is children identifying as animals like cats. I love children. I, you know I love cats, but they're not the same thing, but, but some are even suing to be allowed to be nonverbal in school and just purr and hiss and, and use a litter box instead of a toilet. You laugh, but it's real. It's easy to see those things and say, man, that's, that's hurting people because they don't understand who they are. What I want to talk about today is not all that, even though that matters because it hurts wonderful people God loves. I want to talk about who we are as a church. Who do we think we are? Because self-identity determines behavior. If you think you are something and you start acting like it, you either bring good on yourself or you bring harm because we, we need to get it right. Some churches think of themselves as social clubs. For people like me, that I like to join together for fellowship to do things we like to do. Some churches think of themselves as charities to do social justice and, and do good, and the focus is all on good and none on God. Some churches think of themselves as an extension of politics. It happens on the right and the left where the politics of the age are more important than the gospel of the ages. Some think of themselves as frontier forts, the last holdout of goodness and truth against everything else which is the enemy. And the perspective we take as a church will have a lot to do with how we behave, how we talk, how we live, how we function. So our goal here is to get a biblical view of, of who are we as a body and who are we individually. Because we're all, we're members of, largely speaking, the body of Christ, locally speaking, United Baptist Church, and then personally speaking, 
me and God. So who am I? So let's start in verse 2. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he's going to describe them to themselves, first of all, before he starts to write some things that are very difficult to write. Verse 2. Here's the first thing I want you to get about who we are as a church. Who you are, who we are together, and who we are universally as all the saints of all the ages. To the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. He starts by describing them to them the church of God at Corinth. Now, what we're going to see is that we are called and sanctified to the church of God at Corinth. What he's going to say applies universally to every believer in every age and every church, but he's, he's speaking to, to the church gathered in one place. I'm speaking to the church at Valdez, right here. He's speaking to the church at Corinth. The gathered people of God. We're not the people of, of God as we should be when we're separated from one another. In Proverbs, he talks about pulling a coal out of a fire and putting it off to the side and watching it burn out because it doesn't share the heat of the other coals. And he compares that to the presence of the people of God with each other. It's the will of God we gather together. But I want you to notice we're being sanctified in Christ. He says, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now, what does it mean? That's a churchy word, a religious word, sanctified. We don't use that in other settings, do we? It means set apart. My wife likes cloth napkins. She's got a lot of them. And when people come over, I get to use them. <laughs> Special people get cloth napkins. I get a paper towel. Okay? Common use. That's just me. Just her husband of 26 years. But if you come over, she'll probably put a, a folded up really nice cloth napkin. Sanctified. Not common, not ordinary, for special use. That's what sanctified means. It's something that is set apart for special purpose, sanctified. So he speaks to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. We're not common, we're not ordinary, we are sanctified in Christ. We're, we're changed from what we were because Christ has made us new. We're new people. We are not who we were, we're not what we were. And we're going to see, he gives this small part of a picture of what it means to be sanctified. This is not all of us here, but there's a word he uses two times. He says, called to be saints with all who everywhere call on the name of Jesus Christ. He repeats that word call. Being sanctified has a lot to do with this relationship where God calls us and we call back. We're, we're called to be saints. Now again, we're, we need to, to define the term. I'm no saint how many times have you said that? By which we mean someone who's really set apart. I mean, there's somebody in your mind, somebody who's probably in heaven by now, who lives so faithfully, so beautifully for so long, and you just deeply admire their faith, and you say, she was a saint. 
And you compare yourself to her, and I'm, I'm not like that. Okay, well, first of all, God did a work in her life over time, or his life, that he's still doing in yours. We'll talk about that in a moment. But the other idea is that we're all saints of God if we're, we're born again by faith in Christ. We're all the saints. He comes back for the saints. We sing, when the saints go marching in, I want to be in that number. Not because we're perfect, but because God has called us his saints. So we're all called to be saints with all who everywhere call on the name of Jesus Christ. So God's calling us to be saints, and, and we're calling on his name in faith. He acts first, and we respond. He acts first by saving us, and we respond with faith. He acts first filling us with his Holy Spirit. We respond with prayer and worship. He acts first forgiving us. We react by forgiving others as he taught us to forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. He acts first giving us his word. We react by, by reading it and seeking to be doers and not hearers only. He acts first in love toward us. We react with a love for God and a love for neighbor. He acts first calling us together. We react by inviting others to join. So a big part of what it means to be sanctified is to, to respond to the call of God by calling back. A relationship with God where He acts and we act. And I want you to notice we share a common faith with all true believers. He says, all those who call on the name of Jesus, both their Lord and ours. The world is filled with people who don't agree with us on every detail of doctrine. Saints who love Jesus Christ, who are born again, who we will spend eternity with in heaven, and we don't agree on some things. And that's fine. We're part of the larger universal church. All those who call on their Lord and ours. So we begin with a right understanding of who we are. We're called and we're sanctified. Now, when I was a kid, you kids, you're going to love this. There was one phone in the house, and it was on the wall, and it had buttons you had to push and a cord. And when it rang, you had to get up from where you were, okay? Stone age. Get up. If you were outside and you didn't hear it, it just didn't get answered. And you had to go pick it up off the wall, and you had no idea who was on the other end. And you'd say, hello? And they would say, hi, this is, and they'd have to tell you who they were. Nowadays, it rings and it says potential spam, and you, I'm not answering that. I don't know who that is. Leave a message. Or, oh, it's somebody I do know. It's somebody I love. Yes, I, I want to talk to to them. So we, we get to pick and choose how we answer calls now, right? God's not potential spam. He's not something to hang up on. He's calling us to be saints, and we're to call back on Him with faith. We're sanctified, and we're called. Well, if that's true, how do we respond? We respond to the call of God. He calls us to holiness, to love, to purity, to ministry, to worship, to faith, to forgiveness, to grace. He, he calls us to all these things. And if we side button God, we find we're not sanctified at all. We're farther from Him. If God's calling us to be the saints of God, we should pursue holiness. See, I'm sanctified because Christ has declared me forgiven. That's my only hope. 
But until the day that I stand before him, the call of God is to sanctify my behavior, to sanctify my words, to sanctify my motivations in my heart, to change how I live by changing what I believe. And I partner with God in that. I can't do it alone. And he won't just snap his fingers and do it for me, but he calls us to be sanctified, to pursue holiness, to call back to him. We're called and we're sanctified. Two, I want you to notice we are to be thankful for the work God is doing in each other. Paul writes to the church. Pick up here in the third verse. There's a formula he uses. He uses it a lot. He says, to you, grace and peace. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says that in a lot of his epistles, but it's not just rote. It means something. Grace. It's the word from which we get our word charity, which means both giving and love. For God so loved the world he gave. That's the image there. Charis, gift, grace, charity. A love that gives and peace. And that's this Hebrew shalom idea. Where it's not peace because we've agreed not to shoot at each other. It's peace because we love each other. So when Jesus was born, the angel announced peace, goodwill to men. That's that idea, peace and goodwill. We're that, that we are right with God, we're at peace with God because of the love that gives. And then he talks about his attitude toward the church. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has a lot to say here, but I want you to notice we're thankful for one another. I thank my God always concerning you. It's not a... Sentiment, oh, I should feel thankful. No, I thank God. Paul would bend his knees and say, thank you, God, for the church at Corinth. Why did he thank God? Well, thank God that we're a work of grace. He says, I thank my God for the the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. We're imperfect people. Every last one of us. If we hang around long enough, we're going to rub each other wrong. It happens. We're going to see each other's failures. We're going to watch each other come short. But thank God for grace. Thank God that I'm not where I used to be. I'm not where I should be yet, but God's got me. And God is working in me. The grace of God has forgiven me, empowered my witness, sanctified my work, forgives me constantly, and gives meaning and purpose to life. That's what grace does. I I can live in this world for the kingdom of God, knowing that by the mercy, the grace of God, it matters. Well, if all that is true, and we're thankful for the grace of God in each other, that means I can forgive you. I can thank the Lord When you stumble, when you sin, when you fall, and I see that, thank God that that's not the end of that person, that there's grace. 
Thank God that they were there when I stumbled and I fell and God showed grace. Thank God for grace. We, we look at each other, we love each other, but if we don't guard our hearts, we'll see our sins and our faults far more quickly than we see the mercy of God at work in each other. Thank God for grace. And as, as you hear all these things Paul thanked God for in this church, I want you to look around at each other. Don't make it obvious, don't point or anything, but, but think about how can I thank the Lord for grace in his life? How can I thank God for empowering her knowledge and her speech? Because Paul actually prayed this way, and he's calling on us to do so also. To thank God that we're empowered to know and speak the will of God. He says, you are enriched in everything by him, in all utterance and all knowledge. Now, the magnitude of language here, everything, all, and all. That's pretty all-inclusive. Enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge. Well, you, you know what that means. That means people who know Jesus always have the right answers and always say the right things. Yeah? Enriched, all utterance, all, all knowledge. But watch this. Paul is going to use an expression in this book three times. The expression is keep silent. He says you're enriched in all utterance, all knowledge, but keep your mouth shut. He says if you have the gift of tongues, but no one's there to uh, explain what God is saying to the church, keep silent. He says if you've got a word from God from yesterday, but somebody's got a word from God from today, keep silent. And here's one. If it's going to damage their witness, women should keep silent in church. Pause one sec. That verse, that expression, what I just spoke about, is worth exploring. If you go to the church's Facebook page, I have put an article up explaining what I think that means. Okay? So we won't deviate over on to that here, but by all means, have a look about women speaking in church. The point is, he says, enriched in all utterance, all knowledge, but there are times, he says, not to speak because we're going to speak wrongly. So just because we've been enriched with all utterance and all knowledge doesn't mean everything we do is right. There's a gap between how we could think and speak and how we actually do. I saw earlier in the week somebody put a post up on the internet about the state has a database of people that are owed a refund. If somebody owes you money, you can look your name up and see who owes you and how much it is. Okay? I looked it up. I'm, shucks. I'm paid up. Okay? Just because it's rightfully there doesn't mean it's, it's in the bank. Just because we've been enriched doesn't mean we're living into that, so there's a response required. So if we've been enriched by Christ to think and speak rightly, and we're thanking God for that in each other, what should we do? One, be grateful for the gift. Be thankful that, that the person around you has the wisdom of God available to them to think and do rightly. Be careful how we speak. Be thoughtful about what enters our minds. 
And be watchful to edify each other in our thoughts and speech. We can build each other up in that. Three, thank God for faithful witness. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. Now you might imagine, he's writing to the most holy saints you've ever heard of. I thank God for all these things, the the testimony of Christ confirmed in you. These must be godly people. These aren't like me and the people I go to church with, because we're much more human than this church. Well, when you start reading the letter, the very next thing he'll do after the text we're reading is he'll say, I've got to call you out because you've divided into parties. I'm of Paul, I'm of Peter, I'm of Jesus. And he says, that's sin. And you read on, and he says, and you tolerate and participate in sexual immorality. Well, that's big sin. And you read on, and he says, and you even abuse the Lord's Supper. Okay, they had major problems in their church. Then in the second epistle he wrote to them, he says, the last letter I wrote you was pretty rough. He said, I was sorrowful. He had rebuked them. We don't have that. It's gone. It was after what we're reading here, but before the next one. This was a church with very deep, serious problems. This was not a pure and perfect holy church. But even in spite of that, the testimony was confirmed in them because God doesn't require perfect servants. He requires faithful servants. So we we look around at imperfect people, we look inward at an imperfect person, and we can say, thank God His testimony is confirmed in me. Because the witness of the kingdom does not rely on my perfection. And the power of the Holy Spirit in witness to the world does not rely on my perfect holiness. So even as flawed as I am, as we all are, His testimony is confirmed in us. Thank God for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He says, so that you come up short in no gift. Now there's not one person in any church least of all ours, who has all the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are to empower the church to minister and to serve. The only way we don't come up short is when everybody joins in with the the gifts God has given them and we unite together for the work of the kingdom. He says, I thank God that you're, you're checked in. I thank God you're here. We're not short in a gift, imperfect in its application, certainly, But thank God for people showing up. Thank God for being here and bringing the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. One more here. Thank God that we share the hope of the return of Christ. He says, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God that we can worship together, serve together, imperfect as we are, and look forward to union with Christ. All of our hope Depends on that. If we gain the whole world and lose our own soul, it doesn't profit us. But the reality for every single person in here is that he's either going to call us home through death or we're going to be here when he comes back, one way or the other. I can't tell you. But that union with Christ, eagerly waiting the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, we share in a hope that, that spans eternity. We can thank God for one another. Here's what happens when we're thankful for each other. When my boys were young, you know how it is with boys, okay? They, they're messy. 
And I would mop the house, and they'd come in with mud on their feet. And I'm like, oh, are you serious? Oh, sorry. Well, one of mine, one day, took the notion upon himself to mop the house. He just, he thought that would be great. And he worked at it quite a while, and it, it looked really good. And I walked in, unbeknownst to me, he was mopping, and I had mud on my feet, and he goes, Dad, stop. Oh, now it matters, right? <laughs> now it's his work. It matters when it's yours, when we're grateful for one another. That's where we learn to value one another. That's where we learn to love rightly. Remember love that gives, grace. When we're grateful for each other, we learn how to treat each other with dignity, respect, and compassion. I can't exploit you like some object if I'm thankful for you. I can't hold unforgiveness in my heart if I'm thankful for you. I can love you rightly. We can love each other rightly only if we're thankful and we learn how to value each other. So one, we're called and sanctified. Two, we're thankful for the work God is doing in each other. One more big idea here. We're confident in our eternal future. Meet me in verse 8. Who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of, and he says it again, our Lord Jesus Christ. How? God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son. Who's that? Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is an epistle about the Lordship of Jesus, and he talks about the church as people submitting to the Lordship of Christ. We have hope. One, we will be confirmed. Who will confirm you to the end. Elsewhere, he, he says, I'm confirmed of this very thing, that he who has begun, begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That in the end, when we stand in the presence of God, he confirms what he began here. Not one of us complete yet. Not one of us graduated. Not one of us holy in the presence of God yet. We're still fallen. We're still following but we live in a hope, a hope we share together, God will confirm. Jesus will confirm what He's done. It's not going to be dependent on my goodness and my righteousness. If it were up to me, I'd lose it. It's confirmed because it's up to Christ, and God is faithful. We'll be confirmed. We'll be blameless. He says that you may be... Blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we read that and we think innocent. Anybody want to put your hand up that you're innocent? If you're over two, don't put your hand up. Okay? Not one of us stands in the presence of God with nothing that we could be blamed for. We're blameless because He does not blame us. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's not our perfection, it's, it's His refusal to hold our sin against us because He's given us grace instead. Do you know what a hope it is when we struggle with sin here on earth and we watch each other struggle with sin to know that we, we have this promise of standing blameless in the presence of God by faith in Christ. And we're aware of our guilt. 
We'd have to be delusional to pretend that we're, we're innocent and perfect and good. We're not. We're, we're sinful people, but we can trust in grace and stand before God, and He doesn't blame us. He, he could, but He doesn't because of grace. We'll be found forgiven because He's forgiven us. We'll be welcomed because He has welcomed us and gone to prepare a place for us. We have hope that God will be faithful. We're, we're wrapping it up here. Hang with me. God is faithful. I'll be confirmed. I'll be blameless. Because God is faithful. If our hope depended on us, there would be no hope at all. We would blow it. God is faithful. We are a church here locally, universally, individually, trusting in the faithfulness of God. And if God's not faithful, give it up and go home. Because if God's not faithful, there's no hope for any of us. But God is faithful by whom you were called. There it is again. Remember, we're called people. God called us and He's faithful. He's called us together. He's faithful. He's called us to be holy and He's faithful. He's going to call us home one day and He's faithful. You're called into the fellowship of His Son. called to be with Christ. Fellowship. That's not a word we use every day, is it? We have a building, the Fellowship Hall. I heard a while back that's sexist because fellows are men. Okay. It doesn't matter what you call it. It's is the meaning there. We're called to fellowship. We're called to be together with Christ. And if you're called to be together with Christ, and I'm called to be together with Christ, then guess where we end up? Together with each other as well. We're united together in Christ and the faithfulness of God. I want to wrap it up here with... One final idea here. Who are we as a church? Jesus told several stories about a master or a boss or a king who went away on a journey. Several of these. And before he would leave, he would put servants in charge and give them some duties and some responsibilities. And he would tarry and he would linger and he would wait and it'd be a while and then at an hour not expected, the master would come in. The boss shows up for a surprise inspection. And in the stories, some servant is unfaithful. Did not use the opportunities God gave them. Did not obey the words the master gave. And it ends with a separation from God. But there are faithful servants and they hear, well done, good and faithful servant, when the master comes back. Because they were about his business in his absence. That's the great hope of the church. That though we wait for the kingdom, we can live in the kingdom of God knowing what we do matters. Life matters. How we treat each other matters because the master will return. Or he'll call us to where he is one way or the other. And the great hope of the church is that we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So my prayer for you is that you understand rightly who you are. You're called and sanctified. You're not the same anymore. God's 
ringing your number. And he's invited you to call back and respond to him. We're called, we're sanctified, we're thankful for one another. We can love each other rightly because we can value each other truly because we're thankful for each other. We have hope for the future. That's who, that's who we are as a church. That's who all God's true people are as a church. Thank God for that. Thank God for you and for one another, for what he's doing in our lives. Will you join me as we pray? Our Father, we thank you for the chance to see ourselves rightly. How we act is going to depend very much on who we think we are. If we get it wrong, we can bring great harm to ourselves as we see around us. But Lord, you tell us who we are. Paul here, he writes to an imperfect, even sinful church. And he tells them they're called, they're sanctified. They should be thankful for one another just as he is. And they shared the hope of salvation. God, I pray that idea would take hold in our lives. Help us to hear your call and to respond and to edify each other as, as we pursue holiness. I pray that you help us to be, be thankful for one another. It's easy to see each other's faults. It's easy to Focus on how far we still have to go. But Lord, your grace is working in each one of our lives. Help us to see that rightly and be thankful so we can love. And help us to hope. We look at a world around us and we see chaos. We see a lot to worry about if, if we're prone to worry. But Lord, lift our eyes above that. Remind us, if we walk away from here with one idea, let it be this, God is faithful. We don't need the world to go our way. We don't need to get what we think we should have here on earth. We don't need the world to agree with us. You're faithful. 